Hey, welcome to the Brand Quest Podcast. I'm John Lee. And I'm Allison Fortune. And today we have a super interesting episode for you on Jeffree Star. This episode is really going to be all about what it means to be an influencer. We're going to take a look at aspirational lifestyles as a marketing tool as well as what it means to be authentic as a brand and an influencer. So if you are someone who's looking to be an influencer, if you're an influencer who is looking to monetize your audience, this is the episode for you. And of course, we can't talk about Jeffree Star without spilling that tea. So first we're going to dive into what is an influencer. I think we need to set some ground rules here and some basic definitions so that you guys understand the nuances of what we're talking about and the advice that we're giving. One interesting thing about influencers is it was added to the dictionary two years ago now in 2019. And basically influencers have always existed, yes. but social media really made it super easy for people to become influencers. Before then, they kind of had to luck into a situation where someone famous liked their brand or you ended up on Oprah's things she loved list or you paid a lot of PR money to get your products into the hands of celebrities for In Touch magazine. Or, or you were royalty. Or you were royalty, mm -hmm. right? The, one of the first influencer collaborations dates all the way back to 1760 when a potter by the name of Wedgwood made a tea set for the Queen of England and then started marketing himself as the quote-unquote potter to the stars. I think you see a lot of quote-unquote to the stars. For a while, there was a guy in LA who was marketing himself as the personal trainer to the stars, mm -hmm. the restaurant to the stars. That was definitely a moniker. Before social media, in those stars, they're just like us style features. Well, even Kim Kardashian was the closet organizer to the stars before she became what she is now. Absolutely. What does it mean really to influence? An influencer is somebody who basically can make people perform actions. They influence people to get them to do things. So you are an influencer if you get people to like your posts, if you get people to buy products, if you get people to follow you from one platform to another, read books or join communities or talk about something. All of those things would be actions that would be an influencer influencing somebody to do something. Yeah, and generally in this episode and online for Instagram and social media influencers, you're generally talking about influencing someone to buy something. Yes, most of the time. Sometimes there's a problem because a lot of people have trouble monetizing their audience, which is something that we will talk about. But really to be a successful influencer, you have to be able to influence people to buy things. Yes. Another question I think is interesting is what are the responsibilities of an influencer? Way back in the 90s, Charles Barkley famously had that Nike commercial where he said, I am not a role model, but he was wrong. You can't just say that you're not a role model right. and then become not a role model. If yeah. people look up to you, especially if you are actively branding yourself as an influencer, which by definition really is a platform that people are looking up to. You're saying, hey, I'm someone you can trust. I'm someone who you can aspire to be like this, that, or the other. And that comes with responsibilities, especially if you're someone like Jeffree Star, who has a lot of younger people in their audience. Jeffree's audience is very much teens, tweens, and 20-somethings. And so when you're influencing specifically to younger people and minors, there are some responsibilities that I think come along with that to act responsibly 
And not all influencers do that, and it doesn't always end up costing them. And that's something that I think we'll talk about a lot in this episode. Okay, so the next topic we want to talk about is how influencers get paid. Because you might be thinking, well, I've got like a thousand followers on Instagram. I'm not making any money off of that. Influencers get paid through sponsorships, affiliate deals, creating their own products, and doing appearances. Those are the four big ways. Uh, sponsorship is when somebody gets paid a flat price to promote a product. This would be like, I'll pay you $250 to post this on your Instagram and it has to be up for 24 hours. An affiliate deal is more like the coupon codes and discounts and special links that people get where they're getting a commission on getting sales. A lot of the time you'll see this in the beauty guru industry where specifically Morphe, everybody's a Morphe girl or a Morphe boy, and they have a link for Morphe brushes and they get 30% of the sale when somebody uses that link. Let's talk a little about the beauty and makeup industry before we get into Jeffrey's story itself because I know you worked in that industry and you just mentioned Morphe. I'm a little bit older. When I was growing up, MAC was kind of the dominant beauty brand, and it had like a pretty clear aesthetic, and they had the mall presences, but that's not the world that beauty really works in anymore. No, that's actually where it started. Most beauty gurus were actually MAC girls at one point or another. I was an Estee Lauder girl, so it's a little different. So way back in between 2010 and 2013 is when beauty was really growing. In comes beauty gurus. The rise of YouTube gave rise to the opportunity for girls to show off their makeup skills. Along with this, they started posting on Instagram. And on both of those platforms, you see an immediate takeoff of posting images and then of tutorials on how to do makeup looks. At the very beginning, beauty gurus, all they did were tutorials. Now, this was back 2012, 2013. Starting in 2014 was when they really branched out and did more vlog style videos, more reviews, more sponsorship deals. They really were the pioneers of the influencer marketing because all of a sudden, brands that used to send their cosmetics to celebrities found out that for a much lower price, they could send free cosmetics to these girls on YouTube and hit their exact audience without spending any extra ad money. So they pioneered these influencer affiliate or sponsorships, and that started with just sending free PR makeup. And also, one of the first YouTube communities seems to pop up around makeup. First these tutorials, and then just branching off into being invested in individual personalities like Jeffree Star, mm -hmm. eventually the rise of these drama channels in the makeup yes. world where these are video channels that exist solely to chronicle and weigh in on the various dramatic things that are happening between beauty gurus. So they kind of become a self-sustaining ecosystem starting around 2012, 2013 with the rise of YouTube and YouTube really becoming the dominant platform for that 18 to 34 market, which is very much the Jeffree Star market. Right. Also, women between the ages of 18 and 34 are the largest driving force in the economy today. So especially in America, the beauty industry is a $500 billion industry every year and growing. And so they were really capitalizing on creating an accessible space for girls to come to makeup. And this did not just start with weird and out there personalities. A lot of the women that started on YouTube were much more demure, were 
in their teens and early 20s and were not rich, were not famous, had never been in the industry before and had no business experience. And that will come into play a little later when we talk about kind of contractual and business obligations. The stage was kind of set for Jeffree Star to pop up into these communities, but Jeffree Star didn't start in the makeup community. No. No, and a lot of people don't know this. Jeffree Star, way back in the early days in MySpace, Jeffree was one of the very first influencers on MySpace. He was very big in the scene and emo community, which is like the big hair, the crazy makeup, the like light goth, very much the hot topic crowd. So he actually started going on warp tours and that was his first appearances. And this was in 2007, 2008. He had over 50,000 followers on MySpace, which doesn't seem like a lot now, but in MySpace days, that was a ton. And that was just when he was just starting out. He grew that audience quite a bit and then got into music. So in 2009, he released his first music album. It was an electronic EP and it featured another soon to be famous artist, <laughs> Nicki Minaj. So his song Lollipop Luxury, debuted at number seven on the electronic. I think his album came to number 154 on Billboard. And he partnered up with Nicki Minaj and he was under Akon's record label. And it seems like Nicki Minaj, who famously has very passionate stands, has some similarities with Jeffree Star in terms of the Barbie aesthetic. Both of them use a lot of pink, a lot of Barbie references, a lot of aspirational lifestyles of living a Barbie lifestyle. Very similar to that 90s song, I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. But there are definitely some similarities between how they also seem to view their competition, both in Nicki Minaj having problems with almost every female rapper mm -hmm. who's come along since her, and Jeffrey getting into these feuds, as we'll talk about in a minute. But let's first talk a little just about Jeffree Star as a character, because some people might not know who Jeffree Star is, or they might not be aware exactly what this person looks like. Jeffree used to be very famous for his bright Barbie pink hair, no eyebrows or thinly drawn on pink eyebrows, and is covered head to toe with tattoos, most of them done by LA Ink star Kat Von D. And he actually appears on LA Inc. several times before 2010. So the character branding is pretty strong with Jeffree Star. Like I said earlier, there's a lot of pink. There's a lot of larger-than-life looks. There's a lot of big personality. Really, Jeffree is targeting kind of younger women who really want to be the type of person who tells people to go fuck themselves. And so aspirationally... The character of Jeffree Star is this take-no-nonsense boss bitch type character mm -hmm. who does what, sh what he wants, goes what he where he wants, and is able to make hundreds of millions of dollars on his own terms, self-sufficiently, independently. Yes, boss bitch is really the right term for Jeffree Star. That is exactly his entire brand, basically. So as we move into getting through his music career, he has some more controversial kinds of activities. He does a lot to polarize his audience. And because at the time he was in more of the rock and roll scene, he did a lot of things that were more, more questionable. He was influencing young teenage girls to identify with the word whore. He was posing in a lot of 
very risque poses and really encouraged a lot of MySpace girls in their teens to follow in those footsteps. He was famously straight edge also, which means sober, no drugs, no drinking, and was the biggest influencer in that straight edge lifestyle, which comes up with brand authenticity because recently, well, in the last five years, he's been very well known for smoking cannabis on his YouTube channel and talking openly about his drug use. And also there's a lot of tweets that have been deleted, but mention vodka or partying or going clubbing or, you know, those general activities that are not the straight edge lifestyle. Before we got into the alcohol, I could have gone into a whole thing on just doing nothing but pot and how that's called California sober. But, you know, you throw vodka in there, you're no longer California sober. Really, you're just kind of lying. When you claim you're straight edge or sober, it makes it seem like club hosting gigs or appearances are going to be much more stable. As we saw with the Paris Hilton, Kim Kardashian rise, Kim Kardashian was always sober when she was showing up. There was never an issue with her not going to show up because of drugs or alcohol. It's a nice form of identity politics, too, because it's not quite religious, but it's religious adjacent. Mm -hmm. It's something that, like, allows parents to feel better about allowing their kids to consume content. Right. Yes. I want you to call yourself a whore, but I'm not going to tell you to drink. Exactly. So that kind of incites his first identity with the audience were teenage girls. Teenage girls who wore a lot of makeup because these are girls painting their faces and kind of wild ways, as the CEO of Too Faced calls it clown makeup. Too Faced being another large makeup brand that was very big in this beauty guru industry. Okay, so he has this music career. In 2012, he releases his last album. 2013, he officially retires from music. He wasn't making a ton of money. He was kind of broke at this time, living in the LA area. He's from LA, grew up in Orange County, but basically that whole area. And so he's working in a pet store in 2013. And this is one thing that a lot of people don't know about influencers. Unless they have a product that is functional and has is high quality, they have a lot of trouble monetizing audiences. Beyond that, you have to understand that everything an influencer shows you is curated and they're only showing you what they want to show you. This has been documented a bunch of times. There are many Instagram models who will post pictures of themselves on private yachts or on private planes only for it then to be discovered that they live with four roommates in an apartment south of 10 in LA. You can't assume that just because you're seeing wealth or the trappings of wealth on someone's Instagram that they're necessarily making a lot of money. Lamborghinis can be rented. There was even a company for a while that was staging private jet photos. Mm -hmm. So just because someone has a lot of followers doesn't necessarily mean that they're making a lot of money or even any money at all from their following. Exactly. At this point, MySpace goes out of vogue. Facebook had taken over and Facebook was not designed originally to be a similar platform in terms of gaining followers. It was meant to be a lot more personal connection. So Jeffrey enters this weird, you know, between 2009 and 2013 kind of phase where he's trying to figure out the next move. He's working in a pet store. He starts his brand, Jeffree Star Cosmetics, started in 2013. And then 2014, he enters the YouTube and Instagram world in kind of a big way. How Jeffrey got started was by seeing that there was this audience that was being underserved. At this point, beauty gurus were mostly only talking to girls in their 20s and 30s who were doing more demure makeup looks. 
There was nobody representing any kind of alternative lifestyle. There was no real emo influencers that had gotten big or scene influencers, and those were the audiences that he had previously connected with. Seeing this niche opportunity, he started reaching out to other existing beauty gurus who had followings already, and he collabed with them. And this is a really important point for you people looking to build a brand. These are what we call joint ventures. Joint ventures are one of the easiest and freest ways to build a large following as an influencer because you are able to instantly get yourself in front of another person's audience. So if you have a 10,000 person audience and they have a 10,000 person audience, by cross-promoting, mm -hmm. you're instantly able to get probably another two, 3,000 people in front of your audience, maybe even more if the cross-promotion goes well. And Jeffrey uses this principle over and over again, and it's something that you should really pay attention to. Okay, so it's important to note that with Jeffrey's initial ventures into the beauty industry, he was longtime friends with a tattoo artist named Kat Von D, who had released her own makeup brand just a couple years prior. She was known as the queen of the liquid lipstick, which is a kind of lipstick that you put on and it dries down so it doesn't smear or smudge all day. She was kind of the only brand that was really representing that audience in any way. And even then, she was hitting more the slightly more goth, slightly more serious. Kat Von D was also kind of a suicide girl model for a minute mm -hmm. and she was very much like into the pinup look so all of her stuff was very much into that aesthetic which is right. a little different than what Jeffrey well, does. Yes. Jeffrey using his association with her was able to get on a lot of PR lists right at the beginning and was able to kind of use that relationship to build more of an audience. People had remembered him from MySpace, but not as many. The audience was younger. He needed a way in. That was his doorway in. And then he started collabing with Manny MUA, Jacqueline Hill, Laura Lee, some of the bigger, at the time, beauty gurus who all had very different niches. Oh, Glam and Gore and Mikey from Glam and Gore was another one that he famously collabed with. Ironically, the only one that I could not find that he had a feud with. Basically, right when he started on YouTube, he knew that he needed to find ways to monetize. And this was not all going to be through sponsorships or through affiliates. You do get paid for ad revenue on YouTube, but also when you're first starting a channel, you do not get that kind of ad revenue. So he knew he needed a way immediately to monetize his audience. And using his experience from MySpace before, he was aware of some of the ways or things that he could do to do that. So he releases a competing product, three liquid lips that are bright purple, bright red, and bright pink, like Barbie pink. Now, important to note about these products, they were extraordinarily high quality and they were priced at a price point slightly lower than Kat Von D. So they were accessible, they were hitting his audience, the colors were exactly what his audience was looking for, and they sold out very quickly. After that, he began his foray into creating more products and collabing more and more, growing his audience on YouTube. So we kind of had these two focuses. So one thing I think is interesting here is to focus on the high quality and just the kind of coolness factor. I think you see that and that's kind of underrated in a lot of these brand stories. If you remember the movie The Social Network, one of the things Facebook had going for it early on was the coolness factor. Mm -hmm. And Jeffree Star is cool, runs in these celebrity and quasi-celebrity circles because one of the things about influencers is 
because they're closer to you, they might like your comment, they might retweet you. The parasocial relationships that are formed with influencers are much tighter than they are with famous celebrities like Kanye West or Conor McGregor. And because of that, you have to remember that a lot of people think that they are friends with these people. And so they equate that kind of to the support that people give their friends. And this is actually a really annoying thing that I see online a lot, which is these memes about how you should support your friends the same way you support these celebrities that don't know whether you live or die. And I would do that if my friends made stuff that was the same quality yeah. as these celebrities. Mm -hmm. If you look at the Jeffree Star palettes, I don't know anything about makeup, but they're cool looking. They have cool lettering on them. They're like bright colors. The packaging is very well done. Same thing with Apple. Apple makes really beautiful packaging. When I look at most of my friends' packaging or their products, they're not the same quality as these celebrities that I give my money to. So if you made something that is as good as the celebrities, then I would gladly support it. But I think a lot of people ask their friends to support their kind of ventures that aren't necessarily professional quality or aren't quite in the professional quality phase yet, and then they get mad when we don't support that, but someone buys like a Jeffree Star palette. And the reason is the quality is different. They're yes. not the same thing. This is big in makeup. Right now, in order to create a makeup brand, you have to have a lab. There aren't very many labs that can create makeup for you. You can go online and find ingredients and find recipes, but what you're finding is not going to be FDA approved. And that is important when you're starting a brand. So a lot of these YouTubers and influencers have had a huge struggle with getting enough capital to start their own brand or understanding business enough to be able to get into labs, create products, create fulfillment, and really be successful with a brand. Jeffrey already knew how to do this because he already had deals with Hot Topic. He'd already been in the music industry and he was already aware of how these kinds of contracts work. Those connections, that networking, and that experience gave him a huge leg up in creating his own brand and then going on to support or help produce other brands. And I think it also helped him fit into this makeup community landscape and ecosystem because Jeffrey is a few years older, sometimes a decade older than a lot of these kids that are doing these makeup tutorials. So Jeffrey himself probably can't be the avatar of his audience because he's a bit older, he's a bit weirder, he's honestly probably a bit cooler than most people. Most people don't have the personal charisma or magnetism or are able to put together looks like that. So it's, it's aspirational, but it's not something that they feel like they can be. But Jeffrey then presents himself as the wise guide. And if you know Joseph Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces, you know the hero's journey. If you can't be the hero yourself, you can be the guy who helps the hero on his or her journey into the unknown. And you can even see this play out in one of those documentaries that he makes with Shane Dawson, where he's explaining to Shane how Shane could have made way more money if he used killer merch, mm -hmm. another stream of income that Jeffrey created right. for himself as mm -hmm. an influencer, and kind of walks him through the numbers and what he should be making. And I think he did the same thing for James Charles and many other influencers. He was kind of the wise guru who was going to teach them how to make a lot of money because he already had the aspirational lifestyle that they want with the private jets and the mega mansion and the hundreds of millions of dollars. Right. He even does this directly to his audience with his review videos because things are Jeffree Star approved. And you'll see him do this on tour and when he goes to places, he will say, oh, Sacramento is Jeffree Star approved. I like the people that showed up here. 
things like that. So there's aspiration to it. There's also being that wise guide, that mentor telling you what is and isn't okay. Okay, so now is the time in the podcast where we just want to take a step back, take a breather, and enjoy some coffee, talk about some things that have been on our mind this week. Yes. So this week, I have been beset by back pain, which I'm sure is something many of you in the audience can identify with. I don't know how I hurt my back. I'm just old. I went on a bike ride. Nothing happened. Then I got off my bike and my back hurt. And I've basically been unable to bend at the waist since Tuesday. It's been really, really bad. I had trouble sleeping. And I feel like this is really a sign that the human body was just not designed that well. If everything in the front is all well-designed and proportional, but then the back is just basically tied on with chewing gum and, like, rubber bands. Like, why why are people's backs <laughs> so vulnerable to, like, getting hurt? Like, shouldn't there be armor? Like, give me a shell, something, right? No, instead, I'm just out here with tendons that can just be torn and ripped and strained by riding a bike on a paved road. Not even, like, a trail. <laughs> Not a trail. Didn't crash. Didn't hit any big bumps. Didn't Scott have anything happen. Full of bumps. No, Scottsdale's nothing. Still nice paved road. Was literally <laughs> riding down Scottsdale Road on the sidewalk, walk, and in the bike lane. No mm-hmm. problems. And then got off and was like, "Ow, my back hurts." And all of a sudden, my entire world has been thrown into just adjunct chaos. So if you have great back pain remedies, write me at info at brandquestpodcast.com because I would love to hear them. Because this is some bullshit. Or tweet you. Or tweet me yeah. at brandquestpod. Mm-hmm. Now, while that has sucked, and it's been hilarious to listen to you bemoan this for the week, I have been keeping up on another situation that has definitely been of interesting timing. As you all may know, our first podcast released on January 5th. January 5th was a day that kind of rocked the internet. Yes. For a lot of reasons. We had a book about Chris Jenner come out, mm-hmm. and also there was news about a Divorce between Kim Kardashian West and Kanye West. Also, one thing we didn't mention in the Kardashians podcast is that when Kim Kardashian was married to Chris Humphrey, she was pregnant with Kanye's baby. They were still technically married when she got pregnant. Oh, yeah. We did not mention that. We did not mention that. you know, that's not really a business tip. No. Don't. Scandal. Don't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Scandalous. Yeah. Yeah, Salacious. Definitely. So now are outcoming some very interesting rumors. Jeffree Star has recently purchased 500 acres in Wyoming, which is famously the place that Kanye has also moved and moved set up to. his church. Yes. And so we get these rumors that Kanye West is sleeping with Jeffree Star, who is no- notably now single. And... In the denial video that Jeffree Star released, this is another one of those little fun PR things, he also first denied it and then showed that he was filming from Wyoming, moving to Wyoming, got his Wyoming driver's license, and was basically living in the exact same area. So while there's a public denial, there's also a like, yeah, but hey. Also, in his 2009 album, one of his songs, he calls out Kanye, uh, along with a couple of other celebrities. So it's very interesting that now it's all coming back together and these very dramatic kind of families. Oh, he also alleges that Kris Jenner was the one who put this together. So I personally 
in my own personal record book, have almost zero doubts that Chris Jenner was the quote-unquote anonymous source on the Kim and Kanye divorce. I, if you put a gun to my head and were like, was Chris Jenner behind that? I'm saying yes, and I'm pretty confident I'm going to survive. I'm like, if you sell confident. your own daughter's sex tape, you're definitely leaking the news of her divorce. Someone on Twitter, someone on Twitter retweeted Chris claiming that anonymous sources had done this and. The tweet was Chris Jenner's, also known as Anonymous Sources. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> that is the end of our coffee break today, and we will jump right back into the story. Let's get into what he's really famous for: his feuds. Yes. Now feuds are really the business strategy that built Jeffrey Star more than anything else, and yes. they are a successful strategy that we'll talk about in just a minute. Yes. So the very first real public makeup guru feud was actually between Jeffree Star and Kat Von D. Notably, it was in 2016, right as Jeffree was releasing his first eyeshadow palette, Beauty Killer. There was an allegation against him about some logo artwork. There was never any legal action taken, but at the end of the day, basically Kat Von D says that Jeffree Star is no longer her friend and she's going to remove the liquid lipstick shade that was named after her friend Jeffree Star. She has a liquid lipstick named Jeffree. She says, I'm not gonna sell that anymore. Kat Von D does not own her own brand. She does not have her own lab. It is underneath an umbrella, and a lot of makeup companies do this, right? Clinique is owned by Estee Lauder. L'Oreal owns Lancome. None of these companies are their own company. They're under these giant umbrella corporations that own them. Kat Von D is one of those companies owned by another corporation. So she did not have the power or the say to remove that liquid lip shade. And that's something Jeffrey harps on a lot. One of the keys to his brand is that he's independent. He doesn't have a boss. He makes his own decisions. He is the boss bitch. And this is aspirational for a lot of people because many people, especially those stuck in the quote unquote rat race, dream about being their own boss, about being able to make their own decisions, about having that power. Yes. Following this very public feud, we see the rise of these drama channels. These drama channels starting to talk about feuds. People are taking sides. People don't know what to think. So these drama channels are just basically reviewing videos and running down all of the tweets and social media activity going on on either side. These drama channels now have grown into being their own sort of industry within an industry where they are getting millions and millions of views every month. And Jeffree Star is the drama channel queen. On one channel, Sanders Kennedy, which most people know, he was basically shut down by Shane Dawson later, another giant YouTuber. He, out of 319 videos, posted 61 of them involving Jeffree Star. The next closest one was maybe in the 40s, with several of them being with Jeffree Star, and that's Jaclyn Hill, who's had her own feuds and other problems. Also interesting to note is that many of these feuds and further in Jeffrey's career, his robberies and other public relations incidents all seem to be coincidentally timed with product releases. Yeah, product releases or, and you know, in the documentary. Mm -hmm. Yes, they're all very conveniently discussed when that happens. Everything else that happens that doesn't take place around these product releases is 
very swept under the rug because Jeffrey has a full legal team. He is one of the few brands and YouTubers that has executed in a very formal business strategy this way. So let me just run down a list of kind of a, all of these just beauty influencers or companies that Jeffrey has publicly feuded with in the last three years. Cat Black, Jackie Ina, Laura Lee, Glam Life Guru, which is Tati Rustbrook, James Charles, Kylie Jenner, Too Faced Cosmetics, Kim Kardashian, Jaclyn Hill, Nikki Tutorials, Nikita Dragon, Gabriel Zamora, and Manny MUA. That's just in the last three years. And in those couple of years, Jeffrey has released six different eyeshadow palettes, four different lines of liquid lips, at least he's released Skin Frost. So every time he kind of has this new product or there's somebody else that's coming onto the scene, He's quickly shutting them down and quickly promoting his own products. He has used these public relations scandals to his advantage every single time. It's interesting to note that this reminds me a lot of Lisa Vanderpump on both Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and her other show Vanderpump Rules. Lisa for years was accused of being a behind the scenes producer. Eventually she gets caught in this apple juicy dog conspiracy thing that she was trying to do. And she eventually leaves the show because she would, she would just refused to acknowledge that she was doing this stuff. And I think that's an important corollary here for Jeffrey because one of the things about this authenticity versus sales agenda continuum or spectrum, whatever you want to call it, is you can't say the quiet part loud. Right. It eroded her authenticity. She was no longer able to control the image or the message and rather than apologize like Jeffree Star has done a bunch of times after these conspiracies and go on from there, Lisa chose to take her ball and run away. So Jeffrey has had a lot of feuds and a lot of bad behavior, but I think one thing to keep in mind is that a lot of these feuds are happening with really young people. So mm -hmm. Jeffrey is an adult and I think we need to hold him to different standards than someone who's 18, 19 years old. One of the things I really don't like about the social media era, and you see this a lot with athletes, is as soon as they get drafted or end up going to a team, people will pull up tweets or social media posts from when they were 13 using the N-word or you know making other bad behavior social media comments. And while I don't think that racism is a phase that white kids just go through online, I think that's sometimes used as an excuse, I also don't think we should be playing gotcha journalist with things that were posted when the person was a minor. We all made bad decisions. We all did a lot of dumb stuff as teenagers and pre-tweens. We just didn't have the recording capabilities that exist in this generation. And I think we also don't know what the effects of growing up internet native are on your brain. So I personally, while I am very big on holding people accountable for their behavior, I think that when you're pulling up 10 and 12 year old tweets of people that are teenagers, you're kind of just grasping for straws and that kind of leads into this cancel culture, which I think is very misunderstood because getting canceled doesn't actually cost you money and oftentimes it leads to better opportunities. For example, former White House press secretary Sean Spicer was quote unquote canceled only to end up on Dancing with the Stars six months later. Joe Rogan has been canceled half a dozen times only to ink a $200 million deal with Spotify. Louis C.K. was canceled for a variety of borderline criminal behavior spanning 20 years, yet when he had his first tour back, it sold out in minutes. So this idea of cancel culture is really not a thing that holds up to any true scrutiny. Very few people get canceled unless you do something like 
you know, pedophilia jokes or something like that, that really, unless you're the Catholic Church, you're not going to be able to survive. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, bring up because that's some of the allegations that have happened along the lines with Shane Dawson recently. And so we see a lot of this kind of getting canceled, leading to maybe some YouTubers not surviving that, but some do. So there's an interesting thing that happens here with social media followings. And I first noticed it with Joe Rogan and Alex Jones. I like to call it social media gravity. And what it means is basically once you reach a certain amount of followers, I think you can see this in the real world too with fame. And I'll give an example of that in a minute. But once you reach a certain amount of fame online, you can't really lose it. You can't really be canceled. That's what's happened to Jeffrey. Jeffrey's been in God knows how many controversies with like really bad behavior that's hard to explain. And yet every time, not only does he not lose followers, he often gains followers. So let's talk about that fame gravity a little bit in the lens of one of his feuds. Notably, this was called Dramageddon. This was the first major feud after Kat Von D that really happened. And this was between Jeffree Star and Laura Lee and Manny MUA. This started with an image that was posed after the Kardashians, another amazing influencer family that our first show is about. So if you haven't listened to that one, go back and take a listen. It'll give you a lot of insider information onto the starting of the influencer world and how you can use Kris Jenner's tricks for your business. But let's get back to Jeffree Star with this feud. Laura Lee, a Southern young woman influencer, Manny MUA, young man, maybe in his early 20s. So there's quite a difference in the ages between these people. Also notably, Manny and Laura had never really had any kind of business experience. They post a picture, they basically say with a couple other influencers that they're better off without Jeffrey. Now, on the business side of things, Jeffrey was the one to get them contracts and into a lab and create their brands. Both Laura Lee and Manny had created makeup brands with the sole support of Jeffree Star. I think it's important we mention that he's not doing this for free. He is taking a cut on this. Yes, absolutely. He's in control of their brands one way or another. They basically say we're better off without you. And then things behind the scenes happen where he's basically stopping the fulfillment of their makeup. He's doing a lot of business side of things, you know, cease and desist letters, things like that to over business them. They don't know how to react to this. And then publicly, he basically forces Laura Lee to publish an apology video for her hypocritical behavior. This is noted as one of the worst apology videos that has ever existed. She loses 529,000 followers. This is over 10%. This is almost 15% of her audience lost in one video, September, 2018. Manny MUA, Similar things happened. He lost 307,000 subscribers. They have not been able to recover any of those subscribers since then. This was two, almost three years ago. Jeffree Star, in the exact same month, gained 1.5 million subscribers. So he is, in in essence, too big to fail, making money and building and growing off of these scandals, while at the same time, basically forcing others to lose. Let's talk about why feuds work. And we'll start with the psychology of it. There are three major things that are going on with these influencer feuds and with any sort of feud between a public figure. The first is a parasocial relationship where you feel 
connected to this social figure, whether it's your favorite soccer team's star goalie or an artist like Elton John or something like that. You feel a connection to their music, their craft. You feel more close and more connected to this person. You feel like you have a special bond with this person that actually doesn't know that you're even alive. The second thing that goes into why these feuds are effective as a business strategy is tribalism. Psychologically, we all kind of evolved in tribes. Human beings are tribe animals. And so once we have opted into a tribe, like let's say being a Jeffree Star fan or being an Apple acolyte, we're going to then be dug in and we're going to be very protective of our tribe and anything that threatens this tribe because we've now identified at an identity level that we are this type of person. And once you start identifying at an identity level, you're no longer dealing with thoughts, you're dealing with beliefs. And beliefs are much more powerful than thoughts because people are willing to die over belief. This is a huge lesson that Jeffree Star took out of music. He was on Akon's brand. He was not a stranger to the world of rappers feuding with each other. And this lesson was huge in growing his brand. In the rap world, it was a whole era. In the early 2000s, Eminem famously beefed with a lot of people. There were always rap beefs, but 50 Cent, who we'll talk about on a future episode, really was the first person to use rap beefs to fuel a rise to a number one record and then to kind of make that his whole brand and to become the supervillain, very similarly to how Jeffree Star is often referred to as the supervillain of the makeup yes. world. When you attack people, you're going to create this villain persona to the opposite side. So if you're going to use feuds as a strategy, you have to be comfortable with people disliking you and with this idea of being polarizing. Being polarizing creates attraction, kind of like a magnet. While you repel some people, it's also like a dog whistle to the people who are your true followers. So you're going to be both hated and loved. And that is another way, I mean, that's part of the reason Donald Trump got elected. Yeah, the only person who really is able to be successful while being loved with everyone by everyone is Dolly Parton. And I can tell you, you're all not Dolly Parton. But yeah, so I even come from a family that feuds. I am American Roma, and there was a huge feud for hundreds of years between the teenies and the bimbos. You can read about it in the book King of the Gypsies, which was turned into a major motion picture. But that feud was ultimately settled by prohibition, ironically enough, <laughs> and working together to sell stuff. Working together and making money is often the way to settle a lot of these feuds. So along with feuds, there's one other strategy that Jeffrey really uses that is kind of clutch yes. to his brand, and that is aspirational marketing. Absolutely. And this is in tune with America changing at around the same time. You'll notice that around the mid-2000s, as social media and reality shows started to take more of a hold, there started to become a stretching of the quote-unquote American dream. When I was growing up, most people just wanted to be able to get a solid job, have a couple kids, and have a house with a white picket fence, maybe two cars. That was really what I grew up in the 80s and early 90s as the aspiration for the average American. Somewhere around 2005 to 2008, it starts to change, and this is reflected in survey data from the time where before that time, less than 10% of Americans thought that they were going to become millionaires, but from 2005 to 2008, we see a spike up to 40%. By 2008, 40% of Americans believe that they are going to be millionaires if they make a few moves and do this, that, or the other. Tony Robbins is partially responsible for this. At the time, he was releasing all of his money management stuff, telling the average person they can be a millionaire. 
And it was right before the housing crash. Yes. And also Robert Kiyosaki, right? Robert Kiyosaki was doing the rich dad, poor dad stuff and doing a lot of invest in real estate. So Jeffrey comes along at this era and like Dan Bilzerian, who built a whole brand on flossing, gets into this aspirational lifestyle marketing. And what do I mean by aspirational lifestyle marketing? You've definitely seen it. I mean, Ty Lopez and his Lamborghinis. Takashi 69 and his Lamborghinis. Takashi 69 and his Lamborghinis. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, all of the ads where people are in private planes. I mean, all of the ads where there's a laptop on a seat on the beach with a Corona next to it that says, I made $12,000 from Forex trading. This is also something huge in the music industry again in all of the songs talking about being rich, having a mansion, getting on the private jet, being in the Range Rover, all of those things are aspirational. And again, remember that this is part of the effect of social media is that it allows you to curate what the world sees. What you see on Facebook, Instagram is not reality. They've even done studies about this and it actually is designed to make you feel bad. And part of this aspirational marketing was designed to make you feel bad so you bought things to make you feel better and that's not, a new tactic invented by Instagram. People have been doing that for years. Look at old Porsche ads or Rolls Royce ads. Even on TV with Leave it to Beaver or the Bradys, right? They were a wealthy family, but they did a lot of things, a lot of product placements and things to make you feel like you needed to have those things in order to be like that family. It just has grown. Yes. So it really is key to understand that this is aspirational and it's designed to make you feel like if I do X, Y, or Z, I too can have this lifestyle of clothes, jewelry, designer clothing, all this stuff, much of which is ultimately rented, borrowed, or traded in sponsorship deals. Right. In dealing with the authenticity problems that are, that are coming from aspirational marketing, and because Jeffrey's audience is changing, right, his first audience is now in their 30s, the people who are on MySpace, they're my age. So he has to really adjust his audience to fit Gen Z and the up-and-coming people, which means he's got to do a lot more partnerships with people who are a lot younger than him. In comes Shane Dawson, who has really cornered that Gen Z market. Shane represents all of the things that are opposite of Jeffrey, right? Insecurity, lack of confidence, identifying with having anxiety, and there's a lot of Having things. difficulty saying no. Right. Getting manipulated, being taken advantage of, yes. being a nice guy. Right, and all of those things are things that a lot of people can really identify with, especially when they're in that high school to college age. Shane Dawson is still somebody that gets identified with by outcasts, right? He's not a jock. He's not an athlete. He's not a cheerleader. He is not somebody that is representing the cool kid. And so he decides to do a documentary series with Jeffree Star, originally just showing the inside world of what it's like to be Jeffree Star, and then showing the behind the scenes in a second series on the beauty industry. And these videos have gotten hundreds of millions of views. The largest documentary series, I believe, that released on YouTube by a creator there. And they're freely available. You can go watch them if you want to. So he has now cornered this new audience because he needs to get back into being authentic. People are realizing they're never going to have the private jet. They're never going to have the diamond-studded necklace that has expletives on it. They're never going to have a wall of Birkin bags. And so Jeffrey needs to get back in touch and show the behind the scenes and be more relatable to people who are younger in order to re-monetize and get that new audience in the door. And using that, Jeffrey's audience has even grown more. He now has 16 million subscribers 
on YouTube. His makeup brand is valued over a, a billion dollars with sales in the hundreds of millions every year. And he's in control of 10 other companies in coordination with his makeup brand. Yeah, he has the 283rd biggest channel on all of YouTube, which has over 2 billion users. So he's in the top 300 of channels total on the platform, and that is top 1%. By a long shot. Let's get into the takeaways for this episode. My first takeaway is to find enemies of your audience to throw rocks to. And here's that Blair Warren quote that I promised you earlier. The quote is, people will do anything for those who encourage their dreams, justify their failures, allay their fears, confirm their suspicions, and help them throw rocks at their enemies. That is how you build an audience in one quote. Find how you can justify their dreams, confirm their suspicions, and find enemies for them to throw rocks at. So right now, my exercise for you for this episode of the Brand Quest podcast is to sit down and figure out what the enemies of your audience are. And those might not necessarily be people. Maybe it's the food industry itself for not making healthy food accessible or affordable. Maybe it's big gyms that don't make it easy or socially acceptable to come in and learn how to work out. It doesn't necessarily need to be a person, but figure out what your audience's enemies are and then start throwing rocks at them in your content. Yes, do that. But while you do that, you need to make sure that your product and your brand is high quality. Yes. Right. So Jeffrey found the enemy in Kat Von D and the way that he found that enemy was because he was creating a higher quality, lower priced product. Quality is key and quality is going to be the secret to success because you can implement every other secret, every other tip that we give you. But if your stuff is not of high quality, it will not be successful. I feel like we say this almost every episode, but there is no market for products people don't want. Exactly. No matter how good your marketing is, no matter how good your ads are, your sales copy, your packaging, if people don't want the product, there's nothing you can do. My second takeaway is that you have to find a way to balance authenticity with making as many sales as possible as an influencer. You have to plan for this in the beginning, before you even have an audience. If you're planning on going the influencer route, if you're growing an audience right now, you need to start thinking about how you're going to balance authenticity, what's real, what do you show them. You have to figure out where you're comfortable at and then design those boundaries that you're going to stay within. And then when it comes to sales, being yourself is great, but if being yourself doesn't lead to you making sales, then yourself is just going to be broke with an audience. And that's not a great place to be. So. As much as you want to be authentic 100% and only do things that feel like you, in order to grow a business and a brand, you're going to need to try some stuff that's outside your comfort zone and maybe doesn't feel like quote unquote you in order to make sales. Think about that balance and plan that into your marketing because the earlier you think about how much you're going to be authentic versus how much you're going to be agenda driven and try to make sales and be persuasive, the easier it'll be to find that balance and the easier it'll be to find something that your audience relates to. In conjunction with that, what we've talked a little bit about before, the next takeaway for me is going to be joint ventures. And this comes with an exercise. So joint ventures are going to be partnerships with other brands that are similar size to you, where you guys are basically collaborating and cross-posting to your audiences. So my exercise for you is to go and find another brand that is of similar size, has similar but not the same products, or similar but not the same audience. 
A really good example of this would be a travel agent partnering up with a hotel. Let's say you teach nutrition. You might want to partner up with someone who's a personal trainer. The idea with joint ventures is that you want to make it so that it adds value to your audience and theirs. One easy way to do this is let's say you have an information product. You can make bonuses be other people's lead magnets. So let's use that example I just gave where I teach nutrition and I have a product on nutrition for let's say marathon runners. I might then reach out to someone who teaches running form or teaches stretching for marathon runners and I'll ask them to give me some free content where they promote something they do whether it's their system for six stretches to get you ready for any marathon, and I'll give that away with my product as a bonus. It gives them a little bit of free promotion, and if they do the same for me, now every time they make a sale, I'm getting someone's eyes on my content and vice versa. So that's a really easy joint venture if you sell information products. Every single person listening to this with a brand, I guarantee you there are joint ventures out there that you can make that will make your business more successful. For specifically influencers, one of the best joint ventures that you can do is a giveaway, a collaborative giveaway. So finding two or three other channels, either YouTube or Instagram or Facebook pages, reaching out to them and saying, hey, let's all go in on a $1,000 cash giveaway or a laptop giveaway to our audience. We'll all pull together to buy it and in order for people to enter, they have to follow all of us. And so that is one way as an influencer, you can build your audience and you can really do kind of a joint venture. My third takeaway is to be aspirational. Find ways as both a character in your brand, whether your brand is your face forward, like a coaching business, like a Tony Robbins, or your brand is brand forward, like an Uber. You want to find ways for your brand to be aspirational. Apple, whether it was Tim Cook or Steve Jobs, found ways to be an aspirational product. Jeffree Star does a great job of being aspirational to outcasts. The more you can give people who feel misunderstood, downtrodden, outcasted by quote-unquote society, a place where they feel comfortable and something they can aspire to where they don't have to change, where it's not their fault, where there's nothing wrong with them, the more powerful your brand is going to be aspirationally and the more people will fight to the death for that brand because it makes them feel like they can be more than they actually are. Absolutely do that. My last takeaway is multiple revenue streams. One of the ways Jeffrey has been really successful is by having his makeup brand, having a fulfillment center, and having many other ways of creating money. So if you are an influencer, it is really important to have multiple revenue streams. You can do this by creating private content that people can only see on a paid channel. You can do this by creating your email list and promoting affiliate products. You can do this by using YouTube ads in conjunction with your channel. And you can also create your own company, create your own merchandising and work with other channels. So having multiple revenue streams is going to be the fastest way to build up your income in a lot of different and more reliable ways than just using YouTube ads or you know sponsorships when you get them. One stat I love is that the average millionaire has about six streams of income. I got that, I think, from a Robert Kiyosaki book, but I've seen that thrown around quite a bit. That's going to wrap up the Jeffree Star Influencer episode of the Brand Quest podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review. Podcasts live and die on their reviews. Please leave us a review. Five stars, ideally. But four stars, I guess. 
if you have to. Make sure that you subscribe to us on YouTube. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, all of the social media platforms where we're constantly posting information on how to build a better brand and the scandals, stories, and secrets behind billion-dollar brands. Next week, in our fifth episode, which is the halfway point of our first season, we are going to look at Conor McGregor and the rise of spectacle as a business tactic and how character can influence your product. That's something you're not going to want to miss, especially since he's back in action the next weekend on the 23rd fighting Dustin Poirier. So check out episode number five when it drops next Tuesday. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you very soon. Mm -hmm.